Today's scripture reading comes from Galatians chapter 4, verses 21 to 31. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as the result of a divine promise. These things are being taken figuratively. The women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free and she is our mother. For it is written, be glad, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Shout for joy and cry aloud, you who were never in labor. Because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the spirit. It is the same now. But what does scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. This is the word of the Lord. Let's approach the word prayerfully. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the Holy Spirit who inspired it, and we ask that your Holy Spirit would today give us understanding and that he would speak to us. In Christ's name, amen. So we've been studying the book of Galatians, and in this passage, the apostle is looking back to a particular story from the pages of the Old Testament, and he's using that story to make a theological point. So what I'd like to do in this passage is just simply I want to touch on three things. First, I'd just want to review the story that he's talking about so that we're all familiar with it. Then I would like us to explore the point that he's making with this story. And then thirdly, I'd like to talk about some ways we could apply this to our life as a congregation. So those are my talking points of the story, the point of the story, and then application. All right, so we'll start with a story. In the book of uh, Genesis, we read that God spoke to a man named Abraham and he called this man to follow him, to follow the Lord by faith. And he promised Abraham that if he trusted him, that God would bless Abraham with children, that he would have so many descendants that he would be the father of a, of a vast nation. And Abraham um, believed God. He trusted the Lord. He stepped out on faith. And let me tell you, it took a lot of faith to believe that God could actually keep that promise for him because Abraham was a very old man. His wife, Sarah, was a very old woman. And their entire life together as a married couple, they had struggled with infertility. They'd never, they had never been able to conceive a child together. And so this promise of descendants just sounded um, amazing to them. But they believed God and they followed him. And they trusted that he would do this. And they waited for God to work. And they waited. And they waited. And they waited. 
And listen, have you ever been in a, in a time in your life where it just feels like God is taking forever to answer your prayers, taking forever to uh, work in your life, taking forever to address your needs? I mean, listen, if you've ever been there, you know how they felt because that's the way they were starting to feel like God is never going to come through on this promise to us. And so they gave up. They just basically said to themselves, listen, if, if this promise, this dream of ours is ever going to be fulfilled, we can't wait for God anymore. We've got to somehow do something through our effort to make this happen. So what they did will sound um, horrifying to you. In their culture, this is what people did. Listen, every, in every culture, there's things that are just accepted and they're horrible, ours included, all right? And so this is what they did. Um, Sarah sent her female slave, a young woman named Hagar, into the tent to sleep with Abraham so that uh, Hagar, this young woman, could serve as sort of a surrogate mother so that uh, they, they could have a baby through her. And so they did this, and, and a, a child was born, a little boy named Ishmael, and he's, he's the one who's referred to at the beginning of verse 23, the son who was born according to the flesh, because he was, he was just born by, you know, them doing what comes naturally and, and through human effort making this come, up, come about. And um, that's what they did. And listen, that's so wrong, isn't it? I mean, it's just wrong in so many ways. I mean, first, you're probably thinking, that is so oppressive to this young woman, Hagar, to be treated that way. And um, you're, you're also thinking that is a, a complete violation of the sanctity of marriage, and it is. And, and, and so it's so wrong. And another way that this is wrong is that deciding to do that, guys, was an act of unbelief on their part. They were just deciding we're not going to trust God anymore. We're going to do this on, on our own. So anyway, that's the story that he's referring to here. This is, this is what they did. And, and you're probably thinking to yourself, man, it was a dumb idea. And you're right. It was a really bad idea um, for a number of reasons. First, because it proved to have been completely unnecessary. If they would have just waited. It, in fact, it was so un in, in time, in time, listen, God did keep his promise to them. And I want you to hold, some of you, I just want you to hold on to that today. Guys, in time, God always keeps his promises to his people. And God did that for them. God um, miraculously um, worked in, in, the, in the body of this woman, Sarah. She was able to conceive. She had a child, a beautiful boy named Isaac. He's the one referred to at the end of verse 23, the son who was born as the result of the promise, this miracle baby God gave them. So one reason this, idea, this whole little scheme they, co they concocted with, with Hagar, the servant girl, one reason it was just dumb is because it was unnecessary. God was going to come through in his time. Second reason it was dumb, and you would predict this, is because doing something like that brought a whole world of pain and confusion and heartbreak into their family. I mean, you don't have to be a, a marriage therapist to just kind of say that's, that is not a good idea to do something like that, right? And so these words at the end of verse 30, the words sound kind of harsh, don't they? It says, get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Those were the words that were spoken at the final breakup of their family. And, wh and what happened was this, uh, the promised baby, little Isaac, is born and by that time, his older half-brother, Ishmael, is a teenager. And you can imagine, can you imagine the, 
the issues of anger and rejection that this boy Ishmael is feeling, right? So he becomes abusive toward the little baby, and he has to be removed from the home. And it was a moment of great, great sorrow for them. And so here's what happened. They, this, this couple who called by the promise of God, they had stopped trusting the Lord, and, and, they, and they had tried to just make their dreams come through, make God's blessing come to them through their own effort, and they, and they ended up with a broken home. And if any of you come from a broken home or you've gone through a divorce, you could tell us that is such a painful experience, right? So um, this is the story he's referring to, all right? It's a story. You can say it this way. It's a story of a man who was called to live by faith but who stopped trusting the Lord and tried to make things happen through his own effort and then just brought lots of pain into his life. So that's the story. Now, second. What's the point of the story? He tells us, he says, you can, this, you can think of this figuratively. He's, got, he's using this as an allegory. And by saying that, he's basically telling, this is not the normal way that you would, re you would read historical narrative. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to use this as a sermon illustration. He's making a point, And to understand the point, we need to be reminded of the context, the context into which the book of Galatians was written. Galatians is a letter that was written to some, a group of churches, Christians, who were who were facing false teaching in their congregations. They, they, they were all, um, they were Christian men and women who had come from a Gentile background, all right? They hadn't grown up with, with, with Judaism or with those customs. And some preachers from Jerusalem, and that you'll see that's important to know where they came from. Some preachers from Jerusalem had come to their churches and they were telling these people, listen, they were telling that God was not going to keep his promise to save them through Jesus unless they also did their part. In other words, telling them that God, if God's going to save you, 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 he needs your help. You need to do your part. And so they were, they were telling the, the men needed to be circumcised. They needed to change their diet. They're basically telling them that they needed to start putting some effort into trying to keep the law of Moses that had been given at Mount Sinai if God was going to keep his promise to save them. So, so this, is, this is what they're hearing. Imagine hearing that week after week from the pulpit of your church, just saying, listen, God, God's promise to save you through Christ, that's not enough. You need to do your part. You need to strive to keep the law. This is what they were hearing. And so here's what Paul is doing. Here's how he's making his point. He's taking a bunch of ideas, and he's bundling them together. All right? Uh, he's taking ideas like law, Sinai, Jerusalem, Hagar, Hagar, Jerusalem, Sinai, law. He's taking these, these ideas, he's bundling them together, all right, and he's saying to them, guys, listen, he's saying, listen, these teachers from Jerusalem who are telling that you that you have to keep the law given at Sinai, he's saying, these guys, they are asking you to do exactly what Abraham did with Hagar. These guys who are telling, this is kind of the analogy. These guys who are telling you, uh, these men from Jerusalem telling you you have to keep the law given at Sinai, they're telling you that you should, ba basically they're asking you to act like Abraham with Hagar. In other words, he said, the, the, your teachers are telling you to stop trusting God and, and to start instead placing your faith in your own effort to make your salvation come true. And he's saying to them, essentially, don't listen to those guys. Don't listen to those people. 
Verse 25, he says, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia. That's where the law was given. Corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem. That's where these false teachers had come from. And he says, she is in slavery with her children. So he's saying, if you, if you listen to these teachers who are, who are twisting the gospel and telling you that you have to do things to be saved, you will end up in slavery just like Hagar. You will find yourself in spiritual bondage. And he reminds them who they are. Verse 28, he said, now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, you are children of promise. You weren't saved through your own effort. You weren't saved through, through your hard work. You were saved by grace. Don't forget that. Keep trusting God. So that's the story. That's the point he's making with the story. And by this moment in the sermon, some of you are thinking, this is all very interesting, but what does this have to do with me? All right, the rest of you are thinking, this is not very interesting, but what does this have to do with me? All right, so we're all asking the same question, whether we're interested or not. What does this have to do with me? So let me move on to the third point and just talk about application. And by way of application, I'll, I'll point out to you that this is, this is one of those sections of the Bible where you don't find lots of instruction. This is more of a teaching passage, okay? However, there are, a, I would say, a couple of things here that the apostle is encouraging the people to do to respond to the teaching he's given them. And so let me, let me just give us what I think comes from this passage, two ways that we need to apply this as a church. And the first, I would put it this way. First thing to do, treasure the truth. Treasure the truth. In other words, the Paul, Paul is telling them that as a church, they should really, really care about the content of the teaching that they are hearing as a congregation. They should really care about the teaching ministry, the preaching ministry of, of their church. So when he says in verse 30, the, these harsh words, he quotes, get rid of the slave woman and her son. He's not talking about kicking, kicking poor families out of the church. That's not what he's, he's, listen, he's using this allegorically. He's saying, guys, get false teaching out of your church. Don't allow it there. Care about the truth. Treasure the truth. Make sure that you are hearing good doctrine. Now, I realize you and I, we live in a cultural moment where um, that sounds kind of narrow and closed-minded and doctrinaire, you know, worry about doctrine. Because we live in a culture, the message we're hearing every day is, listen, everyone has a right to their point of view. Every idea is equally valid. No one has a monopoly on truth. Um, but, you know, we should be tolerant of a diversity of opinions. And, you know, there are certain situations where that is okay. But when it comes to hearing the truth of God's word, we shouldn't live that way. Listen, guys, Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, he said this. Watch out for false prophets. Watch out for them. He said, watch out for false teachers. He said, they come to you in sheep's clothing. They look so nice on the outside. But he said, inwardly, they are ferocious wolves. Their teaching will rip you to shreds. So when Jesus, when Jesus just says that phrase, false prophets, you know what he's indicating? This sounds so countercultural. He says, there actually is something as false teaching. And there actually is something as teaching that is true. And he's saying you need, to, you need to know the difference. You need to look for true teaching. And um, this is actually not a minor theme in the Bible. 
It's a, it's, it's this, you find this through the whole New Testament. There are, there are what, 27? There are 27 books in the New Testament. In 23 of them, we find the, the author telling us to be concerned about false teaching and, and wanting to hear the truth. This is a major theme. And here's why. Because, um, guys, because ideas have consequences. When, when, you hear, when you hear the truth of God's word, you hear the truth of the gospel, God's truth brings life. It brings healing. It brings joy. It brings hope. God's truth. Je what did Jesus say? You will know the truth, and the truth will what? Anyone? Set you free. Falsehood enslaves. False teaching destroys people. So the apostles just writing to these early, these early communities of, of Christian men and women and saying, guys, you need to treasure the truth. You've been a little bit sloppy about who you've been letting teach you. You need to treasure the truth of the word. Now, th this week, I, I, uh, I learned the story of a congregation that did that. This story blew my mind, um, this, and this actually happened. Um, first, the first African Baptist Church of Philadelphia was a congregation, African-American congregation, that was formed in 1809 by a group of former slaves. And early in their history as, as a congregation, they went through a season where they really, really struggled because they didn't have a pastor. They couldn't, they couldn't find anyone who had, who, who had been trained, who was uh, able to really um, open the Bible and, and, and break out what's, what's being taught there. They didn't have anybody who was qualified and trained to teach them the word of God. And they wanted that. They wanted to hear the truth. So they had, they had heard of one particular pastor, a man named James Burroughs in Virginia, who was very well trained in scripture, very gifted at, at teaching, and they wanted to call Reverend Burroughs to be the pastor of their congregation. The problem was James Burroughs was a slave, and his owner would not release him to go minister to that congregation. So two of the deacons in that church, some cousins, John and Samuel Bivens, both of them free men, went down to Virginia, sold themselves into slavery so that Reverend Burroughs would be released to go be the pastor of their church. And doesn't that blow your mind? That in this country, there was once a, there was, there was once a congregation of people who cared so much about hearing the truth of God's word that, that two of their leaders were, were willing to sell themselves as slaves so, so that that could happen in their congregation. And I, I imagine people must have said to the Bibbins cousins, like, have you men lost your mind? Why in the world are you doing this? And I don't know what exactly they would say, but I imagine they'd say something like this. Why are we doing this? Because we treasure the truth. And we're not doing this for ourselves, obviously. We're doing this for our children. We're doing this for our families, for our brothers and sisters in our congregation because, listen, they would say, if we don't hear the truth of God's word, if we hear false teaching, it will lead us into spiritual slavery. And I think they'd say, as bad as physical slavery is, spiritual slavery is first. So anyway, I, I, I ran across that story this week, and it just grabbed my imagination. Can you imagine? What would it be like to be a member of a congregation where people treasured the truth of God's word that much? 
And as a pastor, I just couldn't, I, I just think, imagine how much pressure Reverend Burroughs was under. I mean, every week, man, you better bring it. You better really, you better study the scripture and pray because there's men in bondage so that people can hear the word of God. So he, I bet, I bet he worked hard on every sermon he ever preached, right? And can you imagine, young people, kids, can you imagine what it's like to grow up in a congregation like that where every time a, a man or woman stands up, Imagine if every time somebody stands up here to read the scripture and then one of your pastors tries to explain it to us, you're thinking to yourself, my uncle sold himself into slavery so that I could hear this right now. Wouldn't it just give a sense of a kind of weightiness to what we're doing when we look to the word? So I think that these men and women from First African Baptist Church in Philadelphia, they were they were applying the truth of this passage. They were doing what the apostle is telling us to do. They were treasuring the truth. And Mike, Mike, is this your prayer for our church? This is my prayer, that we will always be a congregation that's like that. I, I don't mean that we'll be stodgy and picky and, you know, waiting for people to make theological mistakes, but that we will just love the word of God, amen, and want to hear it rightly divided so that we hear the gospel. So that's one application. Treasure the truth. Second application, you ready? Be happy. How's that for an assignment? Be happy. Rejoice. Listen, um, the false teachers in Galatia, they were telling the people, imagine hearing this Sunday after Sunday. They were telling the people, God is not really pleased with you. That's why your prayers are not being answered, you know. That's why you're struggling with his temptations. That's why things are not working out. God is not really pleased with you because you're not doing enough. You're not doing enough to merit his favor. You need to do more. You need to keep the law. You need to do more. You're not good enough. You're not good enough. You're not good enough. Imagine hearing that all the time. Some of you do hear that all the time. Not from your preachers. It's that little voice in the back of your mind. Let me ask you, Christians, have you ever just felt um, a sense of condemnation? You're not good enough to remembering your sins, feeling, you know, wondering about your struggles, just wondering, is God really pleased? Have you ever felt that this letter is written to, to congregations of people who just lived under the constant sound of crushing condemnation all the time? You're not good enough. You're not good enough. You're not good enough. And the apostle is saying, stop. He's saying, guys, you need to learn to silence the voice of the accuser. You need, to, you need to learn to remind yourself of the gospel. Some of you need to do that today. You need to remember Jesus died for your sins, Christian. You are forgiven. You are being accepted by God. That's what he's telling them. Remind yourselves of these things and rejoice. Celebrate. He, that's what he's doing in verse 27. Verse 27, he's riffing off this idea that, that Sarah had been barren, and yet God had blessed her. You ever feel like you're just barren, just empty? The only thing in sight is my dirtiness, my sin. He's saying, listen, if that's the way you feel, God pours out. God pours out blessing on people like that who trust in Jesus. So he's riffing on that idea. Verse 27, he's quoting from Isaiah, and he says this, be glad barren woman. Be glad, barren Christian. You who never bore a child, you who never did anything at all worthy of God's favor, shout for joy. Cry aloud. You who were never in labor, 
why should we be so happy? He says, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. And I think what he's saying poetically, he's saying this, guys, listen to me. He's saying God is more pleased with people who simply trust his mercy. Are you trusting his mercy? He's saying God is more pleased with people who simply trust his mercy than people who work hard to fix their own lives. So if you've trusted, listen, if you've trusted Christ, maybe you've been feeling condemned lately. Can we silence, maybe when we come to the table today, can we just make this an act of silencing the voice of the accuser and just celebrating? Our God has declared us forgiven and free. Why? Because of what we've done? Listen, no. The only thing I, listen, the only thing I ever contributed to my salvation was my sin. I had nothing else to offer God, neither did you. God has declared us forgiven and free. Why? Because of what his son Jesus Christ did on our behalf. So, how do you apply this? First, let's care about the teaching in our church. I don't mean, you know, criticize the pastor every little mistake. But I mean just come to church saying, I want to hear the gospel. I want to hear the word. Even when there's things that I don't want to hear. Because there's some things I don't like to hear in the Bible. Even when there's things I don't want to hear. I want to hear it anyway. Right? Because I, So let's treasure the truth. And let's rejoice. Christians, let's rejoice. Now, if you've never trusted in Christ, you're saying, how do I rejoice? I don't have a Savior. Well, listen, the Savior today is just saying, come to me. Trust me today. You can, you can rejoice in the same way. And just know you're forgiven and free as you trust in him. Let's pray together. We thank you for the truth of your word, and we thank you, God, that in your mercy you open our hearts to receive it, and we pray that we would do that today. That anyone here who's thinking they have to somehow fix themselves to be a worthy person, set us free from that. Let us see the beauty of Jesus. Let us trust in him and give us his joy in Christ's name.